On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today we continue our discussion, The Face of Caregiving, with CEO Trent Cockrum and Ursula Robinson, Executive Director of Pace of the Triad. When we last left them, Trent and Ursula were discussing the oftentimes overwhelming role that caregivers must embrace and the staggering numbers that highlight just how universal a problem this is. As we rejoin the conversation, Trent and Ursula begin to unpack the needs of caregivers and address the possible solutions, including community resources, available to bridge the gaps of support that exist. Let's listen in. You know, I had a guest uh, tell us in a, in a recent podcast um, that um, we are in North Carolina an institutional, an institutionally biased state, um, meaning that many of our care solutions are have an institutional bent, right? But you um, are you work in a PACE program, um, and, which really is aimed at providing an institutional alternative. Um, and, and then we also have in that same mix, there's hospice services and other home-based care services. Um, but we have to acknowledge, I think that there are still some distinct gaps, even for all the robust services that PACE or our organization, Hospice of Piedmont can provide there. We still see that there are gaps because we we can't do, we can't be all things for every person, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see as some of those gaps in the current caregiver, you know, solution? And how do you think we go about just, you know, uh, remedying those? Although we won't have time to discuss all those remedies, but just a few thoughts. You know, Trent, you're right, we won't have time, but I just, I just need to remind our listeners of all the things that caregivers do. Okay. We shop, we run Mm -hmm. errands, we uh, take care of the household finances, we clean the house, we provide personal care, um, we cook, we uh, feed them, um, we take care of the lawn, we take care of the household tasks that need to be done, um, where there's maintenance needed to the home. So you think about all those services or all those things that a caregiver does. And so what resources are there in our community to help do some of those things? And for many of them, there are none, but then for some, there are some like hospice and like PACE. Um, The gaps that I see, the biggest gaps that I see that I hear caregivers say they need the most is that physical presence. And when I talk about a physical presence, I'm talking about someone to be there to give that caregiver a break. Mm-hmm. Some people call it respite. Some right. people call it a sitter service. Um, there's no insurance plans that pay for that. The government mm-hmm. doesn't pay for that. Medicare, Medicaid, none of those. But that is what I hear oftentimes is the greatest need so that that caregiver can get out of the house and really take care of themselves or take care of business. And yes, you should expect for um, a caregiver to be able to call on a fellow family member to come and assist, but that's not always available. Sure, um, Families are separated and spread it all over the place, so that's not always possible. The other thing that I often hear from caregivers um, that's missing is those 
housekeeping and household maintenance type things. So the cleaning of the house, because that, that can be exhausting. You know, I, I found that my grandmother, uh, not my great grandmother, but my grandmother in particular, it was almost like a task for me whenever she was going to have a visitor, whether it was a healthcare professional or whether it was a family friend, because I had to clean the entire house. Oh. Before they got there, because she wanted her house to be the way it was before she was sick, which was right. spotless. That's right. just the way she carried herself. But it, it was exhausting for me. <laughs> and, and all I could think about is I'm barely holding it together to care for you, much right. less this house. Um, but many older adults are like that. They want their house to be presentable to to professionals oh, sure. uh, and to family and friends. And so we as professionals have to remember to tell them that's not necessary. Uh, we're not looking at their house, that we're there to take care of them. So those household things and as well as um, the sitter presence in the home are two of the things that I would say greatly we have gaps in. You know, some of the things that you just cited, are, I think, are things that um, are deserving of a second mention, um, things that we oftentimes don't necessarily readily associate with the responsibilities of caregiving, like mm-hmm. cutting the grass, yeah. mowing the lawn, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, making sure the refrigerator is clean. Though that wasn't one of the mm-hmm. duties that we talked about specifically, but that's something that I think about in my mind. Uh, making sure that the food is all in date and not spoiled and, right. you know, making sure there are no science projects growing in the back of the refrigerator that mm-hmm. they might, that, that, that they may ingest later, right. Uh, to their own, uh, to the detriment of their own health. But the, but, but then more importantly, it is about um, coordinate. We've, we've skirted this topic a couple of times now, just in this brief conversation, um, you know, coordinating the healthcare needs. So mm-hmm. calling the doctor's offices, which are only open during sort of normal business hours and right. making an appointment and then taking time off of work, particularly if you are still working and you're, uh, or trying to work um, so that you can take the person for whom you're, uh, for whom you're caring to their, to their doctor's appointments and, and be there. So it's, it really isn't, it really isn't just something that you work eight to five and then your caregiving responsibility begins at 5.30 until 7.30 or 8.30. It really is you become a caregiver and you're the caregiver, period. period. It's, a, it's right. running concurrent with all of these other responsibilities that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I, it's, it's, I, I say to people, uh, caregiving is certainly by no means a job. It is a career because it does not stop after eight hours like your job probably does. Right. Um, it can be anywhere from 15 to 20. In some cases, if they live with their care recipient, 24 hour job. Yeah. Which uh, is why things stop. like respite are so important. Right. Exactly. Because I mean, I mean we, so we, we come to work. And we work the hours that we work and then we go home and then we have a weekend and we have this sort of respite that's built into our normal schedule. But when you're caring for someone, you don't, that isn't, you don't work, you don't care give during just a work week. I mean, that's right. That's right. It's a, it's a very long-term commitment, right? Mm So, you know, you know, I have to acknowledge, and we've talked about this a little bit, skirted around this topic too, that that caregivers really should be okay in asking for help. Um, you know, I even think in my own mind 
that, and, and I've learned a lot through this whole caregiving experience that we're learning about, right? Um, that if someone, that if I ask the question, what can I do for you? Um, and someone says, well, nothing, maybe I even offer, well, can I help you do this or this or this? Go to the grocery store. Can I, um, can I pick something up for you? Can I do some laundry for you? Can I, is there something that I can do to help you in, in being, uh, you know, that will enable you to be a better uh, caregiver? And so I think it's important for caregivers or someone who is caring for someone else to feel empowered to say, yeah, this is what you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for those who can't um, verbally say it because they, um, I'll say they started out like me, there was a combination of stubbornness, I can do this, um, and there was this sense of pride that I'm not going to ask anyone for help. Um, so for those who were like me in the beginning, I highly encourage you to make a list of things put it somewhere where people who are visiting or do like I did with my mother and taped it on the outside of the door so that when people came to visit, that was the very first thing that they saw was the things that um, Ursula needed assistance with or that Annie could use help with. And then by the time I opened the door, they were already saying, Ursula, I can take care of number three, going to the grocery store for you and I can do it on Wednesdays. And that way I didn't have to ask. Right. Um, for, for Again, for us very, very prideful people. Uh, I will tell you, by the time I was in the middle of the caregiving for my mother, all that pride went out the door. Um, <laughs> and I was a better caregiver for it because right. I had the help that I needed. Um, yeah, I, I, I think what you describe is something that we talk about a lot. I know in our own organization and I've begun sort of learning a lot about, which is this concept of caregiver vulnerability and encouraging them to really um, allow themselves to um, to let others be of service to them um, mm-hmm. because, you know, that that helps, I would imagine, avoid this concept that we've talked a little bit about, but I want to ask you more pointedly about, which is c- compassion fatigue. Yes. And, you know, we've heard a lot about that in the last, you know, 20 months, probably more than we ever have. Um, so I think there's a heightened awareness of it, but but can you explain what it actually is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So compassion fatigue is a accumulation of exhaustion um, for many people. It's a common side. A common sign of it is dramatic withdrawal from your social connections because you're not only you can be either or but oftentimes you're both, you're exhausted socially or emotionally, and you're exhausted physically Mm -hmm. uh, from all of your caregiving duties and from watching your loved ones suffer day in and day out uh, and not feeling like you can do anything about it. And in some cases, you may start feeling guilty uh, because you're frustrated uh, with the fact that you're having to be a caregiver. There are many signs, for example, of compassion fatigue that I'd like to share um, because I think they're really, really important. Some of them are physical, some of them are emotional. Um, Certainly we can start with um, the emotional part of it. If you start feeling as a caregiver, uh, reduced feelings of sympathy or empathy for your loved one, that's probably a sign. 
if you're starting to dread taking care of your loved one or feeling guilty about the fact that um, your loved one or that you don't want to take care of your loved one, that's probably a sign as well. You're feeling, feeling irritable, angry, anxious. That's signs. How about headaches? Uh, many caregivers, because they keep in everything it bottled in the inside. And so it starts at the shoulders and you can just see them walking around with their shoulders almost up to their ears because it's just so tense. Right. Um, that's certainly something to look for. Trouble sleeping. Uh, caregivers will sometimes also isolate themselves from others. That's something to also be aware of. Feeling disconnected from people. Uh, whether it's people at work, whether it's other family members. Right. Um, unfortunately, too many times as professionals, we enter homes in which the family dynamics are not ideal. Um, sure. There's stress and strain in those relationships. And some of that can be caused by that caregiver uh, compassion fatigue. Trouble making decisions is a biggie. Um, mm. And, and sometimes we wonder, well, it's, you might think it's a simple decision, but if you are a caregiver who's in compassion fatigue, you struggle with making a decision. Uh, and that's certainly one thing to look out for. And I mentioned trouble with personal relationships. So those are just some of the signs. Certainly there are more, but I imagine if, we, if anyone sees any of them, then that's time to have that conversation. A helping hand and a listening ear can go a long way in supporting someone who is caring for another. Sometimes it is just the smallest of gestures that can be the most impactful. If you are interested in joining our caregiver support team as a volunteer, we want to hear from you. Call us at 336-889-8446 or visit us online at www.hospiceofthepiedmont.org to learn more. And now let's get back to the conversation. I do have one question. You know, we oftentimes, we've heard about compassion, fatigue, um, which you just did a beautiful job talking about. And, but, but then some of the things we also hear perhaps synonymously with that are caregiver burnout. Are mm -hmm. they the same? They are not the same. Okay. But the symptoms typically are very, very similar. The difference between the two is that caregiver burnout is something that gradually happens over time. I see. Whereas compassion fatigue typically is very sudden. You'll start experiencing those symptoms. Whereas, like I said, burnout happens over a period of time. But the symptoms are very similar. In yeah, many sure. cases, they're the same. Um, you know, there's a universality to caregiving. Um, you know, we all... I think at our core, we all have a we all have a sense of and feeling of responsibility to someone we care deeply about, whether it's a spouse or dear friend um, or uh, an elderly parent. Um, you know, there is a there is a quote that comes up pretty regularly when we think about caregiving and conversations that I've had from Rosalind Carter about her having described there are four kinds of people. There's, you know, you are a caregiver, you were a caregiver, you will be a caregiver, or you will need a caregiver. Yes, I mean, I that means sure. that this is going to affect every single person that is listening to this today, most likely. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so it deserves our attention, but my fear is, is that it's, our ability to provide 
support for caregivers is not where it needs to be. Is that a fair statement? It is very much a fair statement. Um, And Trent, probably just like anything else in our society, um, in order to really see a change come about, it's going to have to happen in policy. And it's going to have to um, happen to those that are making policy. Right. And so it's going to be our responsibility to make sure that we get out and vote for those people who have our best interests in heart and who understands what it is that we go through. So as caregivers, before we cast our vote, we need to be asking those candidates, have you ever cared for someone? Mm -hmm. Do you know what caregiving is like? Do you know how much money the government saves as a result of us caring for our loved ones? Um, I am aware that um, the current president has has some legislation that's going to help caregivers, and I'm so thankful for that. Uh, But we we need it at the local levels as well, not just federally, um, to make an impact to help caregivers. Because we're all, as Rosalind Carter said, going to need a caregiver, (laughs) even if we're not going to be a caregiver. And so we need to have that support there. None of us want to be, I'm sure, dependent on others. But when we do, let's be as, 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 as least dependent as possible. Sure. And so having the support from our community, whether it's in policies or whether it's in other organizations that provide services, um, let's advocate um, for that to happen for caregivers. Yeah, I think that's a really uh, well-placed sentiment, and I couldn't agree more uh, because the the the, um, the social capacity for our support for caregivers um, has been changing over the last two decades. But there are still pretty some pretty significant gaps. We know now that more and more people are aging each and every year um, who are who are becoming more dependent upon um, unpaid caregivers or family caregivers. Um, to help support them in their in their aging process, right? In a way that they want to to live, and um, in spite of the fact that we all want to maintain um, our full independence for the for the balance of our entire life, the reality is is that we oftentimes need some additional assistance towards the end of our life. We can't be as independent as, you know, I'm not as independent as I was at 20 when I, you know, Mm -hmm. or 47, excuse me, as I was maybe when I was at 20. And that's probably an okay thing actually. But, you know, as we get older, um, those needs actually um, uh, change. You know, one of the things that I also want to ask you about Ursula is, caregivers, you know, caregivers are giving sort of selflessly to the needs of others, which I suspect also means that they are possibly neglecting their own needs. Is that something that you've, that you've, um, in either your professional, or your personal career that you, you, uh, personal experience you've seen? Absolutely. I've seen it in both and continue yeah. to see it in both. And I think we will, Um, see that until we can figure out a way to help caregivers understand that story. You know, that story about the airplane. When you get on the airplane and they start giving you instructions on what you need to do. And they tell you that when the lifeline drops down, what do you do first? You put it on yourself first so that you can then help your neighbor. Um, Caregivers have got to figure out and they've got to take it seriously to care for themselves. 
and to take care of themselves in order for them to be around to care for their loved ones. When I worked in hospice, unfortunately, I saw my fair share of caregivers who died before their loved ones. Um, Unfortunately, I've also seen, you know, one is too many for me. Right. uh, But I've also seen a handful in pace who've died before their loved ones. So caregivers, if there's nothing else that they hear from me today is that they've got to practice self-care. There's a couple of things that I always say to caregivers besides they'll say, well, what do you mean by practicing self-care? So I mean, exercise, even if it's 15 minutes, you walk around the house because you can't leave it, leave your loved one alone, but you can leave them alone 15 minutes to go take a lap or two around the home. Um, Healthy diets getting enough sleep, uh, getting the help that you need from other people, you know, letting them volunteer. When someone says, says, how can I help? Give them the list right? uh, so that they can do it. Spend time with friends. If you've got a, if you're a female and you've got a good girlfriend or if you're a male and you have a, a good male friend that you enjoy talking with and you guys can shoot the breeze, that's always a good release to laugh and smile and be around others. Uh, I can't stress enough the importance of support groups. I participated in a support group with my mother, lifelong friendships still to this day. And that was 20 years ago uh, from that support group. Writing in a journal uh, for some people, that's very, very um, refreshing, very relaxing to write in a journal. Uh, For me, I learned to do meditation as a result of um, going to my caregiver support group and, and, and really getting serious about taking care of myself because I too, unfortunately, developed high blood pressure when mm. caring for one of my, um, my care recipients. So I knew I had to do something in order to be there for them. But I have to also say, Trent, that really practicing those positive coping skills like exercise and eating and meditation um, deep breathing, hot baths, all of those things we have got to do as caregivers to take care of ourselves. Have to um, allow yourself to do it, right? Have to allow ourselves, give ourselves permission to do mm-hmm. it. And those of us who are watching these caregivers keep pushing it at them, keep saying, we need you to take care of yourself. And sure. truly the thing that I think gets across to them is if you don't take care of yourself, who's going to take care of your loved one? Mm-hmm. That sends a strong message um, to people when they realize that they're putting their own health at risk uh, and may not be here to care for their loved ones if they don't do something about it. Yeah, you know, um, to that point, there are also many faces of caregiving, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It isn't just at the bedside, um, though that's what we usually think about, I think. But there are folks who are, both full-time caregivers, you've mentioned distance caregivers. There are uh, folks who, you know, maybe have some shared caregiving responsibilities. Um, And um, one of the things, and I think you've shared this with me, so I want to, I want to make sure I attribute it back to its original source, Ursula, and that is you, Mm -hmm. is that you've described caregiver, being a caregiver as simply, if you're doing something of a beneficial nature, to another person. That's right. I mean, th- then you're a caregiver. I mean, you're a caregiver. so in that grandest of sense, that broadest sense, we are all, in fact, a caregiver of caregivers. some kind. That's right. We're all each other's caregivers. 
Yeah, we are all a caregiver of some kind. Um, Ursula, you know, as we draw this conversation to a close, um, I want us to think back on this last several minutes of conversation. And you have really just a fantastic uh, career uh, that has exposed you to so many facets of caregiving in addition to being a caregiver yourself. Um, If you were to think about that um, accumulation of, of experience, what is the one thing that you think you would like to leave folks who are listening to this with today? Oh my gosh, there's so many things, Trent, do I have to choose? <laughs> oh gosh, um, I'll tell you, I think it's got to be the importance of self-care. Yeah. Um, truly, that is the one thing, because again, I've seen my share of caregivers who did not outlive the people that they were caring for because they did not do a good job taking care of themselves. Um, and so making sure you practice self-care is absolutely critical. And for those around caregivers, really meaning it when we say, how can I help? Please mean it because a caregiver can spot a meaningless offer a mile away. Mm. So so mean it. Uh, Give an example like you did. Well, can I cut the grass? Can I mow the lawn? When they say no. And then the last thing I would say for those who are around caregivers is go back, go back and ask later. They may tell you no now, but go back a week from now, Mm -hmm. maybe even a month from now, Mm -hmm. because one of the things you got to remember about caregiving is that it constantly changes. Everything about it is changing. Their care recipient may be good one week and the next week not. Um, The bills may be paid this month but next month things are different. So please, if they tell you no the first time, keep going back the second, the third, the fourth, and on and on and on. And at some point in time, they're gonna take you up on the offer because they're gonna realize just how sincere you are. Yeah, you know, I've, I've long believed, if I didn't believe it, I think my grandfather taught me that sincerity is truly a virtue. Um, and I think what you just said is, really key in that. Be sincere in your offer, but offer just the same. And if you're the caregiver, accept it because Mm -hmm. it is a sincere offer. You know, Ursula, it has been such a great privilege um, to spend this time with you. Always, it is a wonderful privilege to see you and have an opportunity to talk with you. Um, I appreciate uh, what you do at Pace of the Triad and appreciate your organ- you and your organization being a good partner to Hospice of the Piedmont. And um, I look forward to many uh, newfound collaborations in, in the future. So thank you for being Absolutely. my guest today. Thank you, Trent. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion of the face of caregiving. Join us next time for the value of caregiving as Trent is joined by Cher Limpock hospice of the Piedmont volunteer, and someone who has had personal experience with caregiving. Their conversation will explore the meaningful role of caregiving, the challenge of balancing caregiver and care recipient needs, and why a societal shift toward increasing support for caregivers is necessary. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been The E-Series.